Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, help me to preach it faithfully and clearly. By your Holy Spirit, convict us of the truth of the gospel and empower us to proclaim it boldly. For we know that only Jesus Christ can save. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine that you have been given the task of decorating this church. I mean a full makeover, right? The people in this congregation need to clean the curtains, vacuum the carpets, repair all the hymn books or produce new ones up to you. You need to arrange for painting, polish the pews, uh, repair the musical instruments, the whole deal, right? I think the first question you would ask is, why? You know, why should we bother going to all that effort? Imagine I replied that the Queen of England was going to join our chapel next week. And she has said that every member of the congregation that assists with refurbishing the church and cleaning will receive a personal gift from her of 100,000 ringgit each. Now, if you believe that, if you were sure the Queen of England was coming next week and would give you 100,000 ringgit, nothing would be able to stop you from getting to work immediately. But if you thought I was lying, that it was some uh, cruel prank to get you to clean the church, uh, you probably wouldn't entertain me for a moment. You see, the extent to which we believe something is true is the extent to which we will throw ourselves into it if you believe the vision of your team, you will do everything that you can. Uh, you may do what you must because of fear of consequences if you don't believe the vision. But you won't have the internal motivation to go above and beyond. And that's the same, I think, we see here with gospel preaching. If you believe that the gospel is true, that hell is real, only Jesus can save. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, that one day all people will face him as judge, then with boldness you'll get to work. You'll go out, you'll preach the gospel, and no obstacle or inconvenience will stand in your way. You'll be willing to suffer for it. You won't be afraid to boldly proclaim it. But if you're not sure that the gospel is true, if you think it, you know, it might just be a lie, then you won't boldly proclaim it. You'll be silent. You'll be afraid. So my aim this morning is that we would be convicted that the gospel is true, and so boldly we will get to work proclaiming it to others. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, the risen Lord Jesus sends his disciples out to, make, uh, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 2, of course, he pours out his Holy Spirit to empower them for the mission. And at Pentecost, Peter boldly proclaims the gospel and 3,000 souls are saved. Then in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go to the temple and they meet a man who was lame from birth. In the name of Jesus, they tell him to walk. And he does, walking and leaping and praising God as the song goes. The crowds in the temple are amazed by what happened, and Peter and John take the opportunity to preach the gospel. They say that uh, they killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and it's faith in Jesus that has healed this man. 
It's actually a glorious start to the church. The gospel is welcomed, many people are converted, but in Acts chapter 4, we see it doesn't take very long until the opposition begins to mount. So my first point this morning, the response to gospel preaching. The response to gospel preaching. And the first response that Peter and John get to their sermon in the temple is opposition. Verse 1, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day because it was already evening. So no sooner do they start preaching Christ than Peter and John are arrested by the chief priests and the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were sad, you see. Sorry, I can't just help but uh, say that joke every time uh, <laughs> uh, they're mentioned in the Bible. The Sadducees were very sad people. Right? They were in charge of the temple. They were descended from Zadok. That's where they get their name, actually. And if it helps you, the reason why they're sad right, is because they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They only believe in the first five books of, of Moses. Uh, we're told in Acts chapter 23, the Sadducees say there is no resurrection nor angel, nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And that's why when Peter and John are proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the, of the dead, they get really annoyed because they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, let alone Jesus. And here were the disciples teaching on their home turf, the temple itself, that that Jesus, in Jesus is the resurrection. Now, when they say in Jesus, uh, the resurrection from the dead, they're not just saying that Jesus was raised from the dead. They're saying that because Jesus was raised from the dead, the resurrection age has begun. That is, the kingdom of God has arrived, and everyone who believes in Jesus will be resurrected as well on the last day. So Peter and John preached the gospel, and the people of the leaders are greatly annoyed, and they're thrown in prison for it. And so, friends, we shouldn't be surprised if we boldly preach Christ that we annoy people and that they will persecute us. The, the gospel naturally challenges the beliefs of those around us. And so as we tell them about Jesus, they may get upset with us. They may get offended by us. Now, they may not get particularly offended if you talk to them about the resurrection. But they may if you say that Jesus is the Son of God, or you say that Jesus is the only way to be saved, that all religions don't lead to God, there's only one way, truth, and life, and that's Jesus. See, if you preach those exclusive claims in a pluralistic country like this, well, you are going to annoy people, and you are going to suffer. And that's why there's always a temptation for us as Christians to be silent, to not preach the gospel, because we don't like to offend people, do we? And we certainly don't like to suffer because of it. And that's why we need to remember the second response to gospel preaching here. 
The Sadducees are greatly annoyed. Peter and John are arrested. But look at the response of the crowds. Verse 4 says, Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. That is, thousands in the crowd hear the word, and they believe it. They turn to Christ. They become Christians. It's a glorious day in the church. But of course, it never would have happened if Peter and John kept their mouths shut. Wouldn't have happened if they cared more about their comfort and not uh, you know, treading on anyone's toes. They cared about those things more than their, the salvation of souls. You see, we are tempted to be silent, to not talk about Jesus, to not proclaim the gospel to our friends or relatives or the other residents at the home or the staff even, because we're probably worried they will get offended and they might do something as a result. But it's also true if we don't speak the gospel to them, how are they ever going to come to believe it? How will they be saved? Peter and John stayed silent that day. There would have been no mass conversions. Our Lord Jesus willingly suffered for our salvation. And if we follow him, we must gladly suffer like him as we seek to bring salvation to others. So that brings us to the second point this morning, and that is the boldness of gospel preaching. The boldness of gospel preaching. Perhaps we would have thought that this first moment of opposition in the church may have been enough to silence Peter and John. I mean, after all, when Jesus was arrested, the disciples fled. Peter himself denied Jesus three times, and he even knew him. Perhaps now that they're arrested like Jesus were, uh, they can just say to one another, look, well we, well, we tried to preach the gospel, Jesus. We did our best, you know. But, uh, you know, it's not going to work. Let's just give up. We'll go back to fishing. After all, you know, we can't preach the gospel if we're in prison or we're dead. But that couldn't be farther from the reality of what happens here, is it? After spending a night in prison, they're brought out for their trial. Verse 5. The next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they'd set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I want you to see there that the boldness of Peter and John, they've just been arrested for proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. They're brought before the very same council, chief priests and so on, that had condemned Jesus to death by crucifixion just two months earlier. And they're totally 
unfazed. They accuse the council of crucifying Jesus, of going against God himself who raised him from the dead and made him the cornerstone. They proclaim that salvation is only in Jesus. Now, where does this boldness of Peter and John come from? They didn't have it before Jesus was killed. Surely it flows from their conviction that the gospel is true. They are certain that Jesus died and that he rose again, that he was the only way of salvation. If it wasn't true, why would they suffer for it? They should just go back to their fishing. But they knew it was true. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the linen clothes folded there. They, they saw Jesus with their own eyes. They touched him. They saw the wounds in his hands and feet. They knew it was true. Why clean up the church if the Queen of England's visit is alive? You wouldn't bother, would you? Why preach the gospel and go to prison if the gospel is not true? You wouldn't do it, would you? But the gospel is true. And it's more valuable than getting a hundred thousand ringgit, isn't it? Because whether or not we preach the gospel is the difference between people going to heaven and going to hell. So look again at verse 12. Peter boldly declares, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He says very confidently, only Jesus Christ can save. Only Jesus' sin-bearing death can rescue us from God's judgment. Only Jesus' death-conquering resurrection can give us eternal life. Only Jesus. And that is the reason we need to share the gospel. To talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus to all races, to all languages, to all nations. Because there's no salvation in Buddha. There's no salvation in Krishna or Gandhi. There's no salvation in any other religious leader either. There's no salvation in money or through your own good works. There's only salvation in Jesus. And it's that conviction that meant Peter and John boldly proclaimed Jesus in the face of opposition. And it's the same conviction that will drive us to preach the gospel in the face of opposition, if we believe it's true. And so one final point this morning, the unstoppable progress of gospel preaching, the unstoppable progress of gospel preaching. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. This uh, final scene is a really tragic one for the religious leaders. The evidence for the truth of the gospel is standing right in front of them. The healed man is right there. They know he's been healed. They can't deny it. They, they, they've seen him. 
But instead of admitting their sin and turning to Jesus, they persist in their rebellion anyway. It's often like that, isn't it? Once you've chosen the path of evil and lies, you often find yourself going deeper and deeper into it. More evil, more lies to cover up what you've already done. You get caught in a web until you do unspeakable things. But what are they going to do if if they're not going to believe in, in Jesus? Verse 15, they have a committee meeting. You know, when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. The, the, the evidence is there. We can't believe that it's true. So what are we going to do? Verse 17, In order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone. In this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So refusing to accept the truth, they harden themselves in rebellion and they say, shut up. Don't speak. Don't let me hear that name Jesus anymore. The devil always wants us to stop speaking about Jesus, doesn't he? He's happy when we keep to ourselves, when we're silent, when we focus on other things instead of evangelism. Because he knows if we stop speaking about salvation in Jesus, the gospel will stop spreading. But Peter and John are convinced the gospel is true. And nothing, not even threats of imprisonment and death, are going to shut them up. Listen to how they respond. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were all praising God for what happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So they know the gospel is true. They're eyewitnesses themselves. They've seen Jesus talk with him. They've ate with him. And so no amount of opposition will quiet them from speaking about Jesus. Now, we are not eyewitnesses ourselves. We can't have confidence in that sense. But we can know it's true because of their eyewitness testimony, which is recorded here in the Bible. People won't suffer for something that they know is a lie. They will if they know that it's true. And so the fact that they were willing to suffer for it, and it's now written down in our Bibles, assures us that the gospel is true. And so we can boldly proclaim it like them. And, and nothing not even laws to prohibit the spread of the gospel, will succeed in the end. So the extent to which you believe something is true is the extent to which you will throw yourself into it. If you're sure the Queen of England's coming, you'll get your money, you'll refurbish the church. If you doubt it, you'll do nothing. 
So do you believe that the gospel is true? Do you believe that Jesus is risen? That there is salvation in no one else? If you believe that, nothing will stop you from preaching the gospel. Who can you be sharing the gospel with? Other residents here? The staff? Do you have family members or friends? Are there people you meet at the shops when you're buying your lunch? We don't need our sight to share the gospel. But what we do need is a conviction that the gospel is true and boldness to open our mouth and speak it. If we can do that, there's no telling how many people will be saved through our witness. And of course, we have nothing to lose. Because no matter what we will suffer in this life, we proclaim in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Jesus is coming back. When he does, these frail earthly bodies that we have now, they'll be gone forever. We'll be raised in glory to spend eternity with Jesus. We will gaze upon his beauty with our own restored eyes. We'll worship at his feet. And we'll do that with all who have found salvation in Jesus, including those with whom we personally have shared the good news. So do you believe that the gospel is true? Nothing will stop you from sharing it with others. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to confess to you that so often we are afraid to share our faith with others. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of annoying people. We're afraid of suffering. We like to be comfortable. We like to be safe. Lord, by your Spirit, give us the boldness of Peter and John. Unafraid of suffering and rejection, because we know that the gospel is true. Lord, we know that only Jesus can save. Let us have compassion on those around us who have not yet believed in Jesus. Use us as your witnesses for your glory, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.